Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, I'm joined by Niall Thielen, the founder of the Naked Collective Niall, you're very welcome to the show. Hey, Ian, how are you doing? And there goes the dog in the background. Just perfect time. Part of the 21st century. Um, Niall, as I mentioned, founder of the Naked Collective. Niall, if you see me looking to my right, I'm at home, so I'm looking at my notes here. Uh, LinkedIn recently listed your company as one of the top 10 startups of 2021 in Ireland. So congrats to that. But that's not where we're going to start. We're going to start back at the very beginning, the early days, Selbridge, if I'm correct, is that where you grew up? Originally, well, originally Tala, actually. So uh, I grew up in Tala um, until I was uh, finished primary school, and then we we moved out to Selbridge, and I went to secondary school in in Selbridge, uh, and sort of yeah, yeah, then uh, lived there until I was finished uh, secondary school, and then pretty much have been all over the place. What were your early days between Tala and Selbridge like? Any standout favorite memories? Any hobbies? Uh, I, I, I'm soccer mad, so I uh, grew up soccer mad and, uh, you know, focused on that a lot. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't be, um, Selbridge is grand and all, but, uh, you know, moving moving uh, from primary to secondary school, we don't know anyone is, uh, is challenging at the best of times, especially when uh, when they're not too fond of lads coming in from Tala. So it was uh, it was interesting. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, look, we'll, we'll, we'll ask one more question in this section and we'll move on and let's around impact and influence. People can usually pick uh, a number of small group of people that had a massive impact on their early days that helped them become the person yeah. they are. An acquaintance, a school, a school teacher, a parent, a friend, anyone spring to mind for you? Uh, no, look, I, I grew up in a very entrepreneurial family, um, and uh, you know, my 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 dad back in the day went out on his own in business in the in the eighties when you know the economy was really struggling. Um, and we we worked in that business growing up. Um, so if you wanted pocket money, you know, you went into the kitchen and you you either peeled a you know ten pound bag of carrots, probably about twenty ten pound bags of carrots, or uh, um, a load of bags of prawns got shelled or whatever else was required to be done. So that was my days. There was plenty of days missed school as well in working in the kitchen. Um, and I got I got really lucky actually because uh, he was you know he would and back in the day he was quite um, entrepreneurial you'd call it um, back in the day maybe stalking is a better word now he he sort of stalked the FAI and uh, he was running Finstown House and he got them to he got the Irish team to come stay with when Jack Charlton was sort of leading up to the Euros in, in eighty eight and Italia ninety and ninety four um, so I spent weeks in and amongst the the team and Jack and you know Morris Setters and all these really iconic people um had sit-downs as a kid I mean I was I was very young but you know you're sitting there with Paul McGrath and Niall Quinn and Tony Cascarino and Frank Stapleton and Frank's had a few beers on him and Paul's always got a few beers on him and you're listening to them 
you know, ripping the shit out of each other and just learning from the guys and their focus, different people's focus in that team on how they went about their business. Got to ride to the game on a few buses. Um, you know, Ireland versus Portugal was a friendly in my highlight. I think we beat them three one, and I got down to the, I got down to the dugout and everything with Jack. So it was uh, that was pretty pretty standout. But being around, you know, I wouldn't say Jack spent any time with me. Um, because he had plenty of other stuff in his mind rather than the little fella following around like a gobshite. But, uh, you know, just listening listening to him and how he dealt with stuff, I, I, I you know, only recently reflected how much of an impact I think that had on me and and, uh, and and how I approach things. An incredible story that is. Um, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Irish team. I, I, I travel abroad to, to most games. Strangely enough, I actually have, like, one of the things about, like, the Ireland game here next to my table. Um. So, uh, yeah, I'm. I'm still just imagining all, all the the stories from that. But look, uh, let's move on in terms of business. I, I'd like to rewind the clock. Um, to focus on one of your previous roles in 2008, you spent five years at Molson Coors, finishing up there as the director of emerging markets and craft beer. So my question is. And and this is before we get into your current business and, and other previous roles in in entrepreneurship we've had is from your time at Molson Course, did you take any lessons from your time improving your skills, built such as building rapport, or the ability to spot uh, spot trending uh, moments? Um yeah, I'll I'll I guess I'll leave it as open as that. Um not, not particularly from course. Uh, I think I learned, you know, a lot of my learning in Molten Coors came around, you know, how breweries operate, um, you know, how good beer is made, how bad beer is made, um, and, you know, how to, how to really work across factories and interact with those teams in a different way. Because I come from a sales and marketing background. So I'd say that was, you know, that was probably one of the bigger learnings. Um, I, you know, I sat on the, the exec or the board or whatever for the UK and Ireland. I wouldn't say I particularly enjoyed that. Um, I'm not a boardroom sort of person. I'd say my, my biggest learnings in my career go back a bit earlier than that. I spent nearly five years in, in Nestle uh, at a very interesting time. And I'm still very close to a lot of people um, that I used to work with. Uh, and I think there's moments in your career, maybe one or two, when you look around the team and the people sitting around the table and then the next couple of layers down and you go, holy crap. This is like once in a lifetime in terms of talent and people and just soak up as much as you can. Uh, and I got very lucky in that period in Nestle, just with the quality of people and and uh, in particularly my boss, uh, the guy who hired me into Nestle, I'm still very close friends with. Um, so that would have been amazing. I think, you know, a great time. And it's only, again, in hindsight, you look back and go, Jesus, all the lessons I learned there, you know, you'd pay hundreds of thousands in an MBA for that. Um, and uh, and again, I, I was a member of the board for UK and Ireland there um, yeah. for the pet care division, which was a great experience because I had no clue what I was doing. Uh, and uh, But it's very quick when you, you get in, you realise not many people do around the table. They're all winging it. Um, and, 
it was a great experience. I think in Coors, I met some great people. I enjoyed it, but I think Coors was very much in a transitionary period when I was there. Uh, what I did, you know, what I did enjoy was setting up the Ireland business and then running Sharks and um, some of that stuff and getting involved in the global craft beer strategic work. Um, but I think I'm, you know, I'm just not suited to a big company boardroom or getting close to that boardroom and the politics and because I'm too blunt and it doesn't work. I've had plenty of moments where I'll deliver something and there's tumbleweeds and just deathly silence. <laughs> so, um, the, the, the real reason I asked you that question was I wanted to pick a cup role that you had a, a decent amount of time at. I probably didn't scroll back far enough for Nestle um, and it was a two-part question. I wanted to ask the corporate question first and then uh, more of an entrepreneurial founder-led question second. And I'm not going to go into too much of like the, the after of the Rye River Brewing Company but I'm, I'm curious, there was, there was over three years there. Um, was, was there a standout lesson you took from, from that venture that you carried with you when you, or was in the back of your mind when you opened up what is now the Naked Collective? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just to, to preempt your, or sorry, maybe what you were leaning into, like, you know, I, fun, I do look for people who've gone and worked for those big FMCG businesses and then have had some entrepreneurial experience because you got to get your foundations and you're going to learn them. And, and, I, and I encourage people who've worked for just small businesses to go do that. But um, yeah, I think there's a couple of big learnings, you know, where Roy River for me and the one, one, one main one is, you know, the people you surround yourself with are actually the most important thing. And that was a big learning going into the Naked Collective. So, you, you know, if you put if you put people around you that are the same as you, you're effectively heading for disaster. Um, you got to put people around you who complement and balance and find, you know, find those skill sets that you don't like doing. Um, and uh, and I would say that wasn't necessarily the case in, in Roy River. And I think secondly, you know, I vowed never to invest in stainless steel again. Um, so, you know, God help anyone who wants to build a brewery. Um, that's just not my idea of a fun way to spend money. Um, so I think the challenge being every time you raise cash, you're funding, you're funding stainless steel and you, you get one part right, then you got to put a new packaging line in. You get that right, then you realize you can't fill the bloody thing quick enough. So it was a, you know, it was a, there was a lot of learnings. I think the biggest learning for me over though is I pretty much wasn't drinking um, you know, for most of that period. And I was training pretty hard. And, and so I just fell out of love with the, the industry um, because it's like actually selling something I don't necessarily believe in anymore. Um, and it was great beer and everything, but, you know, it, it's a bit, you know, it feels a bit hypocritical of me to be selling stuff to people that I don't necessarily drink all the time or consume all the time. Yeah. And so when I, you know, when I sort of said, look, it's time for me to, it's time for me to leave. That was a big part of it. And then, in, and then I had this sort of moment over the next year or so where I went, Jesus, I've spent, you know, most of my life selling things that actually kill people just really, really slowly, like beer or Red Bull or whatever it is. And I was like, wouldn't it be great to, you know, to actually one create products that do good on the inside but also at the same time focus on that piece around planet purpose uh, and that was the sort of big moment i was running my consultancy and doing really well actually and enjoying that but gone i need something more here earning money is just part of it like how do you do something a bit bigger yeah makes sense that actually answers one of the later questions i had around that i could collect up i think it was uh, your partner cat who had said a 
quote where we focus all our money on R&D, bringing products to market. We don't invest in stainless steel. We don't have factories. We outsource that. So that answers that. But before we get into Naked Collectibles, rather than me give kind of like the elevator pitch or a 30-second commercial, you'll do a much better job because it's your baby. So why don't you take the mic? Yeah, look, it's it's really simple. Where our aim is to be the most transparent drinks company in the world. Um, I think everybody that works for us just got fed up with the jazz hands of the food and drink industry. You know, splashing natural and good for you, or low sugar, or this and that on different products, and then you turn around the can or the bottle, and it looks like a you know the back label of a bottle of Head and Shoulders, um, and 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 like you know, I don't want my kids putting that stuff in their body. Um, and so that was the sort of the starting point for uh, for Naked Collective. And we what we really tried to do then was just create products that genuinely work. So don't put chamomile on there unless you put enough fucking chamomile in there to actually do something, right? Don't create a non-alcoholic beer unless you believe it's the one of the best in its category and tastes as good as the regular one. And that was that's the mission we've let out for. Not that we always get it right, but that's always what we're leading out for. How do we take ingredients? out of this how do we uh, make it simpler how do we make the best tasting product we can how do we create new categories and so when you look at our sustainability mission there's a whole piece around planet and and, and community but there's actually a whole piece about change making change from the inside out um, and if you can do that then people start to focus naturally on planet and community around them if they're making changes internally as well so that was sort of that's that's the mission like make products that Fit modern lifestyle from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, and you don't mind if your kids have some too, and you'd nearly go have a second one rather than wincing every time they pick up a can of Monster or a Red Bull or a Coke or something. I like it. Um, one of the things I was most interested about was your go to market approach. Um, because I know you're only launching at the end of 2019, I think it was December 2019, according to your LinkedIn. And, you know, if we fast forward today, you've closed a deal with Wizz Air, you've collaborated with the likes of Rita Ora, you've been included in the goodie bags at the Academy Awards, you've been the named official partner of two of Italy's biggest sporting events. So from launch to today, you've done an, a, a, amazing things. But when you were sitting down in those kind of like Q4 of 20, 2019, what was your strategy then before launch of how are we going to get the product out there into as many people's hands? Was there like an ICP? Was it just get it out to as many people as possible? Because if you fast forward, well, I don't know, 24 months, you've, you've done some incredible things. Uh, yeah, when you, when you say it like that, I mean, we're not happy. So <laughs> it's like, we're not happy with where we're at. I think, you know, you got to remember December 2019, there was a mention of some little virus popping up in, in China. Um, we only launched our product to market in uh, the end of September 2020 was our first retail store. It was a, it was Spar Ireland, who's been an incredible supporter of ours all the way through. And, you know, I think our mission, if I went back to December 19, when me and Kat were sitting down, was put as many cans in as many hands as possible. Okay. Tell our story do on-premise really well, cafes, delis, bars, restaurants, hotels, and then build retail. Then in March 2020, we were sitting in New York, you know, closing out an investment deal, and, uh, 
and there's a, a sort of announcement over the course of a couple of days where I think you the T-shirt come out on the steps and say, hey, we're shutting down Ireland and we've, uh, and then you Trump announced the travel ban. So I think we were in New York when the travel ban was announced and we were flying back the next day or so, uh, but we were due back in New York next week and couldn't travel. Uh, and then, um, and that was to close our deal, which then fell apart. And then, um, you know, you Ireland shut down. So we were trying to start up the business from home, no culture, you know, no opportunity to bring people together and do all the stuff you do in a startup. So we, by the time we got to September, our entire strategy had changed. We had to pivot everything. So we led with retail first, not on-premise. We weren't able to put cans in hands because Jesus, if you walked up to someone and hand them a can of coat, you know, kind of anything, they'd think you were trying to poison them with, you know, some form of the pandemic um, and uh, potentially get arrested. And so... You know, we, we did everything we could within those sort of guidelines at the start, but we grew internationally despite that. I think, you know, we've had a lot of hard lessons during the pandemic, which is people aren't stopping in stores and spending time looking at new products. Um, but our mission was to be much further along than we are now. I mean, we, we've raised a lot of money and, and, uh, and we're growing really, really fast. Um, but 2021 is going to be a fraction of what we thought it would be. However, 2022 looks like it's going to be pretty spectacular already. So, yeah, I think our, our strategy has always been really aggressive sort of rollout in a few focused key markets. Smart. You, you mentioned 2022, and, and that's kind of the second part of the question is what's next? Um, I could mention all the stores you're in, you know, all the places you sell online. Um, the deal with Wizz Air, I mentioned uh, your business partner, uh, Kat, said she had hoped sales to airline passengers would reach a healthy six-figure number of individual cans every year. That's in an article referencing your deal with Wizz Air. Um, so where do you see growth? And I know you've relocated to the US now, so that's probably a hint of what your answer is. But where do you see growth over the next three to five years? Yeah, I think, look, uh, Wizz Air is a great one, actually. I was only talking about it this morning. Their orders in in. Uh, in September, just doubled what they bought in August, which was about three times what we expected them to buy in the first place. And um, so they're miles ahead of anything we thought that they would do. Um, and and the pickup on the brand and that environment seems to be spectacular. So, you know, that's a it's a really interesting firm because we just did it, you know, because there was an interesting conversation and it was never part of our strategy. Um, you know, we, we, we're growing into food service now. We're pushing pretty hard back to our original strategy, go places where people have a bit longer dwell time because we need to have a conversation with people. You can't have a conversation with people if they're panicking in and out of the supermarket. But when they're sitting down and they're having their lunch or they're having a bite to eat or they're in a bar, that's good places we can have conversations with them. Um, and there's different ways to have those conversations. So we're really pushing hard and heavy in, into food service in, in Ireland um, and now in the UK. We're trying to get back on track in the UK because the combined Brexit COVID thing has meant supermarket and supermarkets being bought by different people has just sort of meant it's been almost impossible to put new products on the shelf in the UK in the last two years. So that's now seems to be opening up and resetting. Um, but yeah, look, North America is huge for us. Um, so Ireland was always going to be our headquarters, but a small part of the overall business plan. We're in uh, we're in about a thousand stores in Canada. We're planning on doubling that by January. We're pretty much on track to do that. Maybe even increasing by 150 percent if everything goes well. 
touching wood. Uh, and then uh, in the US, we're literally, we're exploding. So we're trying to keep control of that. We actually can't produce enough stock at the moment to keep up with demand um, in the US. So we're, we just agreed some, um, we agreed to launch in Michigan. Um, so we signed uh, some agreements there um, and we're working on agreements in, in Illinois, in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, in uh, We're already in 400 stores in New York and we're trying to do uh, uh, some additional agreements in the Northeast. Uh, working on an agreement in Florida. We've got uh, Rayleigh's, a retailer out in the West Coast who just launched a, a Sogear for us. Um, we've got a number of other retailers that have just gone live, so or about to go live. So between now and the end of the spring, you know, we're expecting all our Q4 revenue in uh, uh, in the US to sort of quadruple um, in Q1, uh, and then and then sort of grow from there. So it's sort of taken it one quarter at a time. But uh, look, the US and Canada are a huge part of our, our plans, but Europe is really important. The UK is a really important market for us. Um, Italy, um, Austria, Netherlands, um, sort of key focus markets. So uh, we're trying not to go too far, uh, too quickly, um, but they're, you know, they're the markets that we, we tend to focus on. Nice, very cool. All that without investing in any stainless steel either is, a, is, is an added bonus. Yeah. Um, it's a great it's a great way to to do it <laughs> most of the time no uh, i've only got three questions left here uh, the first one is um what's your personal definition of success i jesus look i i don't have one i'm terrible at even celebrating success um i've already moved on probably to the next five things by the time we achieve something you know but for me i'm not you know I, I tell people like I, I sort of look myself in the mirror most days and go, you know, did you did you do something new today? You know, did you challenge yourself? Did you learn something? Did you did you give it a hundred percent? And the answer is if the, if you could look in the mirror and tell yourself the answer is yes to all of those questions, you're a liar. And the worst thing you can do is lie to yourself because you just don't have days like that. They're one in a million. Like, um, and there's days when you don't give it or you go, you know what? I actually didn't give the team enough air time on that call. So for me, it's just that constant desire to just be better, to listen, to learn, to, to grow and to put just amazing people around you who are going to make, you know, you look a bit stupid because they're so good because that's, that's, that's the way to do it. Like if you can get people around you that are outstanding, success happens um, from good people. So, uh, yeah, I, don't, I know that's a long answer, but I don't have a, hey, I want this or I want that. That's just not in my, it's not in my mission statement. Like, Can you think of anything that um, when you started out in your career, uh, back Nestle days, you could even go further back than that, that you weren't great at, but you knew was critical to improve on. You might not have known then, but looking back, you knew it was critical to improve on if you were to thrive in industry or role that you're now in. And if so, what is it? Um, yeah, I think, well, a couple of things. I just had a moment that I just remembered that I used to sit down scribbling in school you know, different versions of what my company logo would be at around the age of eight or ten. I was only telling my wife recently, I'd completely forgotten about it and it came back to me a bit, a bit a month ago. Um, I Because I always tell people, you don't set up the plan to like be in the consumer goods industry. You know, you, know, you want to be a fireman. And I started out doing aerospace engineering, so it had a completely, completely different, different tack. Um, now, I've, now I can't remember your question, Rin. Sorry. <laughs> um, uh, when, uh, one skill when you started out in your career. Oh, yeah. So... Uh, 
well, I don't know if they're skills, but definitely, you know, behavior. So I'm, I'm the most impatient person you're ever going to meet in your life. I'm terrible. Um, so learning, learning patience has been, has been, uh, has been difficult. I remember in Nestle, you know, um, my gaffer sort of saying to me, listen, it doesn't matter where you are. If you've left everyone, you know, three miles back behind you, um, you're not going to get anything done. So you got to go, you got to bring them along a bit faster, but recognize that you're moving at a pace that, that not many people are. Um, and and then I, very early on in my career, I had just a terrible temper. I mean, terrible. Just got frustrated so easy. Um, and learning to sort of balance that out, manage it and not, you know, I, I tell you, I can count on one hand how many times I've really lost my temper in the last decade. Like, um, but it's been a, it, it's not, you know, my instinct is I got to nearly count when I when I'm in a situation that I'm going, how the hell did that happen, or why why did you make those decisions? And so I think it's just spending that bit of time to listen and understand. So that combination of patience and just learning to to be really balanced with people, and uh, and and what that brings then is a bit of support from the team. So they were important. You know, my financial skill set as well has been, I think, important during that that period of really focused in and understanding, you know, accountancy and, and financial planning for a business and how to understand it. And a lot of learnings in that from Roy River, actually, unintended learnings, but, you know, good learnings around cash and, you know, profit and all that sort of stuff and how to, you know, how, how actually, it, you know, the only thing you should be focused on your first three years is your cash flow, to be honest. So um, it's been a, it's been an interesting journey and still, still learning stuff every day. Like I'm sure my team would still say I'm the most impatient pecker in the world. Like Final question for you Niall is um, around the uh, secondary school curriculum. If you were given the decision-making power to add a mandatory subject that's not on the curriculum, what would it be and why? No, I'm going to do politician. I'm not actually going to ask, answer the question you asked me because um, I have an interesting perspective. My kids have just moved there, a 17-year-old and a 14-year-old. Um, and we've just relocated. They've been in school, obviously, in Ireland their entire life. So, you know, we've come to, come to Florida um, to run the business. And, and one of the big challenges for us was, is the education system not as good? Because you hear all sorts of stories. Um, not just about the US, but in particular, there'd be a view in the rest of the US, maybe that the Florida education system is not fantastic. And actually, I would say that it's infinitely better than anything I've seen in secondary school in Ireland. So, you know, I think my biggest change in, in secondary school in Ireland is, you know, don't don't build up to one exam and, and then ask people to better their education and their life on one exam because... You know, I've seen so many people hit that leaving cert do really, really well through secondary school and then absolutely crash and burn because they're not exam people, right? I'm not an exam person. I hate them. Uh, and what I see here is, you know, I have an online portal for my kids. Their teachers upload their grades every day, graded homework, graded quizzes in class, you know, graded exams on a weekly basis. Their grade point average is there. I can see everything live. They know it. They're in it every day. They're gone. This is my grade point average. This is what my score is. I need to get that up. I need to resubmit that. I need to do that. So absolute focus on constant improvement and holding the bar you set for yourself during the year. One of the things they're graded on is employability, yeah. right? So if you turn up late, late for class or you don't ask good questions or you don't take initiative, your employability score comes down in the school and it's part of your grade system, 
So how amazing would that be in secondary school to have an employability score and that constant, you know, what I see is kids that hated going into school and um, now just love school. It's just part of like that. That's their goal and part of their sort of daily focus and working harder to achieve that. So I'd say that's been transformation. It's early days. Listen, six months in, they'll have forgotten about Ireland and they'll hate school again, all right? So, uh, but right now, I think, yeah, employability, you know, working on what what makes it, you know, what makes a good, um, a good candidate for employment? What does that mean? What does hard work mean when we talk about it? And bringing those sort of practical things into school and, and giving people a, a, you know, a really good sense of, you know, it's not all about university because there's other paths here you can take. It doesn't all end at the end of the insert. There's loads of ways you can you can reconstruct that. Uh, and, and I said, I went into aerospace engineering. I couldn't be a further from aerospace engineering now. Uh, and many of my friends thank me for that every time they get in an airplane, by the way. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it really, I think, you know, root and branch overhaul of secondary school in Ireland would be, would be amazing. Nice. Well, look, uh, we're at the end of the podcast. It's been a pleasure spending the last 30 minutes with you. Uh, and I wish you continued success, both personally and professionally, for, for the future. Train, really appreciate it. Um, and just share with you if you want to connect on anything else. If your metro don't trust you, I'm gonna show you Beautiful morning, you're the sun of my morning, baby